Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning, and welcome to our show. I'm here today with host Les Davis. Good morning, Les. Good morning, Linda. You know, we are going to be talking today about a topic that almost everyone that we know has had experience with, and that's Alzheimer's or dementia. And unfortunately, families are all affected by this eventually, one way or another. And today we're going to be specifically talking about veterans, uh, the risks of getting dementia, the heightened awareness of the really debilitating effects of this insidious condition. And we're going to be talking with guest Sean Taylor, who works with vets against or veterans against Alzheimer's, which is part of us against Alzheimer's.com. So we are very happy to introduce you to Sean Taylor. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Linda. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I was so delighted when I met you because this is an area that there's such a stigma against dementia and Alzheimer's, it appears these days. It is in our family, and people are very unwilling to talk about it, to acknowledge it, and see the effects it has, but it's there. So I'm very glad we're shining light on this today. And let's start first, if you don't mind, with a little bit about your backstory and how you became involved, but also about Alzheimer's itself and what it looks like and feels like to family members and to the person experiencing it. Absolutely. Um, And I want to thank you for bringing a light to this topic. Um, It is very, very important. And uh, I will start with my family background. And I grew up in a military family. My granddaddy was a colonel, graduate of West Point. And um, my mother was an Army brat. Uh, She was an only child and traveled the world in his career. My father, he served our country, and he retired as a lieutenant colonel. And what has happened to my family is uh, is my granddaddy uh, died of Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. My grandmother died of Alzheimer's. And my father has recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and my mother is in the very late stages. Oh, so dear. I, yeah. I'm it's so sorry. Tough. That's a lot of family experience, and it's very tough. It is tough. It is very tough. Um, I have the fear of Alzheimer's in my head. I have patriotism in my blood, um, and perhaps Alzheimer's as well. Makes perfect sense. Now, the interesting part that you and I spoke about is that Alzheimer's can truly touch anyone. But in our discussion today, it was very interesting to me that you had worked your way over through these personal experiences into understanding the very unfortunate link between military service certain kinds of injuries, and increased risk of Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that as a background? And then we'll get deeper into this as we go on with our hour together. Certainly. So what the, you know, 
again, a little bit about my backstory. I have three daughters who have each sustained concussions. So I know what it's like up front to care for somebody with head trauma and to be a caregiver. And so I started to really think about what I was hearing in the news with the the amount of publicity about TBI, traumatic brain injury, about post-traumatic stress, PTSD, blast injury and post-concussion syndrome. And I started wondering about our military and could could these head injuries, in fact, set one up or place a veteran at a higher risk? And so there became the journey of how Veterans Against Alzheimer's was really formed. So what we did... Oh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Sean. Please continue. What I was going to say is that what we, in the research, in doing our due diligence and landscape, is that what we do know is that those veterans that suffer TBIs, uh, one or multiple, are 60% more likely to develop dementia. We know that those with post-traumatic stress, PTSD, are twice as likely to develop dementia. How and why these military-associated traumas make it more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease is not well understood. So we need research that can help us clarify this link. Les? Yeah, so um, when, when you gathered all that, um, inf- when you've seen all that information, um, Sean, um, did you, are you correlating it? Are you working with, uh, um, like the local uh, veterans administration yeah. and the hospital? Is this, is this, um, is there any work going on currently with the VA or is this just done, but with uh, private hospitals and information you found in the private sector? No, I have to give a shout out to the VA. The VA is, is addressing this issue, um, the DOD is studying this issue. Many of the veteran hospitals across the country, you know, the academia, the dual appointments, they are in their slabs looking for a correlation. So what we do know is that veterans come home who have these injuries, and they are at a higher risk, and they manifest that. What we don't have yet is the longitudinal study. You know, we don't have the scientific evidence but what we do see is the relationship of these injuries and a higher risk of Alzheimer's. Mm. So the VA, um, working with the VA, working with the DOD, working with the VFW and the, and the various VSOs, we're working with public-private partnerships to address these issues. And what continues in my path, what continues to be... Uh, first and foremost, just the people that I talk to, they they say, you are in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. You know, I have not had one person say this, this isn't uh, important or relevant. So there's something to this, and what that is is what, you know, what the research is all about. You know, Sean, I have to jump in here and talk about the fact that it's not only our older vets who are experiencing this. There are younger veterans who have been exposed to noxious agents mm-hmm. uh, who are showing early onset dementia uh, signs and symptoms in their 30s and 40s. And it's a surprise to the VA because they don't have in place therapies for younger veterans who are experiencing really the same signs and symptoms 
that the older veterans are. So I agree with you. Far more research needs to be done, and we need to add in exposure to toxic agents. Some of the burn survivors are experiencing some of these symptoms as well. Others uh, with TBI are exhibiting early Parkinsonian mm-hmm. um, symptoms. As again, we, we spoke about this earlier. And it's very concerning because it is a growing problem, not just let's work with our older veterans. It's actually broadening the scope of those who have these symptoms and the research and the treatments. We know there aren't treatments at this point. There Mm -hmm. are ameliorating agents, you know, some drugs you can take and some therapies you can follow. Where do you think the research would be focused First on the longitudinal study so you can make the link or on symptomatic relief and family to ease the way and lower this stigma. That's a lot of questions, but grab them and we'll go on a break in a few (laughs) minutes and we'll go after that. We have plenty of time to talk about it. But, I mean, these are things that that keep me up at night and I know they keep you up. You know, um, what I can tell you is that you are absolutely right about the younger veterans. And what is, it's actually kind of a twofold problem with the younger veterans. They are coming home with injuries and more than likely dealing with parents that are of the age now um, to be experiencing dementia um, and Alzheimer's. And the, the young military may not even know what they're dealing with. So they may be set up for parents, and then they, too, may be set themselves up for 20 years down the road. So the post-9-11 generation, this is really a very important issue because it's twofold for them. Whereas the older generation, we have, uh, what is it? It's 65% of veterans are over the age of 55 Mm -hmm. versus 15% of the general population are over the age of 55. So that's a huge amount of of the population being veterans Mm -hmm. that are in need of assistance. And the VA has always been first um, in leading the charge in the medical community, and it's our great hope that this issue will become one of their top priorities as well. It was interesting for me to read off your website this morning, Sean, that uh, that the, the huge spike in that study that was done from 2003 to 2000, I think it was a, a mm-hmm. 166% spike um, of pre, uh, pre-set Alzheimer's uh, conditions in veterans. That, that mm-hmm. is just an, um, uh, just an unheard of number. Um, it is, you know, an, an even bigger number, less that will shock you is the economic burden that this is causing and what will cripple our economy um, come 2050 with the expected rise in Alzheimer's. Right now we have 5 million diagnosed cases. It's expected that we will have 15 million cases in 2050. Mm-hmm. And uh, r- right now, even the the caregiving burden um, right. It's not something we've even talked about yet, and we can perhaps get into uh, mm-hmm. as we move along. But um, just the disease of Alzheimer's cost the the country $259 billion annually. It is the most expensive de- disease that we have. And there is no treatment, as you said. 
no prevention, and there is no cure. And the U.S., you know, invests significant, significantly more in other diseases. And just for an example, and not to pick on, and I am so pleased that we have moved research along with, with cancer, mm-hmm. but their numbers are so startling in comparison to Alzheimer's. Um, in 2010, for an example, cancer cost the U.S. healthcare system $77 billion, while Alzheimer's disease costs as much as $215 billion. Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Salt is in nearly everything we eat, and many times it makes food taste so delicious. Even though the 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day, Men's Health Magazine states that the average American takes in about 3,300 milligrams of sodium every single day. Your body needs some sodium to function properly because it helps transmit nerve impulses. It influences the contraction and relaxation of muscles, and it helps maintain the right balance of fluids in your body. But most of us are getting far more sodium than is recommended. Check out the sodium content in the foods you are eating and limit soy sauce, Parmesan cheese, bacon, smoked salmon, ramen noodles, and salami. It's time to kick the habit of too much sodium. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. notice you buy more groceries when you use a large shopping cart. The shopping cart, or trolley as it was originally called, was invented in 1937 by Sylvan Goldman, owner of two Oklahoma City grocery stores. Back then, shoppers carried their food in wicker baskets. One day, Goldman was observing his customers and realized that as soon as their baskets were full or too heavy on their arm, people stopped shopping. Goldman thought if we could somehow give customers two baskets, we could do considerably more business. What's another word for a resourceful person? A debrouillard. Goldman put wheels on some folding chairs, attached two baskets to the seat, and let the back of the chair act as a handle so the cart could be pushed with one hand. What do you call anything that can be manipulated with one hand? A thumbadoodle. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion with Sean Taylor and Vets Against Alzheimer's. We were cut off at the last break. Can you go over those numbers again, Sean, if you don't mind, just the last ones? Of course. Um, what I was doing was actually doing a comparison between diseases and to, to really highlight and spotlight the cost of Alzheimer's. Um, Alzheimer's is the most expensive disease in the U.S. It costs roughly two, um, $259 billion annually. And that is in comparison to the healthcare system for cancer. What the costs are there is $77 billion. So you can see what the difference is. Alzheimer's costs as much as $259 billion annually. So um, we really need to fill that gap. You know, we really do. And before we go further, let's talk a little bit about what it looks like. We know that Alzheimer's affects memory mm-hmm. because I think the 
you know, society has been very good at, at at least acknowledging memory loss, aging equals Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, in the in the advertising mind. Mm-hmm. But there are many other symptoms that arise as well. And it, it comes from everything from posture and shuffling to echolalia and um, sh- sharpening vision actually minimizing vision, a lot of things that people don't know about. And when you have symptoms that you can't quite put a finger on, the family gets scared. Can you talk a bit about some symptoms and what to look for and what are some early signs? Because there does appear to be a correlation between extra stressors and speeding the progression of symptoms. Mm-hmm. Well, I can speak from personal experience um, in watching my family members. You know, I have, uh, since I was a young adult, so we're going back, it's been now over 40 years that I have been, that Alzheimer's has been a part of my life, up close mm-hmm. and personal. So I can reflect on my grandmother um, and my mother. You know, my grandmother was a colonel's wife, and so that requires a lot of social interaction. And as this disease took a hold of her, she slowly retreated. She stopped going to social events. She stopped going to cocktail parties. She stopped entertaining. And my grandmother loved to entertain. Mm-hmm. She stopped cooking. She stopped reading. She stopped watching TV. I mean, she really just retreated and shut down. And um, my grandfather... It was entirely the opposite. He, this disease took him very, very quickly. And so there is no one model um, Mm -hmm. that one can say fits the bill for Alzheimer's. It comes in all, all shapes, sizes. Um, It, you know, what one can look for is a beginning of confusion, Mm -hmm. uh, the beginning of retreating, the, you know, it's not so much the keys, you hear about the keys, you hear right. about the phone, um, but it's more than that. It's uh, the, the, the inability to have a communication. It's the inability to be able to recall recent memories. Now I can speak again to my mother. I can put on old music for her, and you can actually see her body change. Mm-hmm. You can see her remember. So it's the long-term memories. You know, with my father... I, he can't remember what we just talked about, but he can tell me war stories mm-hmm. um, because that is something that was, you know, such a part of his life, and it was so long ago. So it it affects the short term memory first, and then eventually it robs the uh, the individual of all memory recognition, as you said, sight, mobility. Um, it's 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 ugly. It's just, um, you know, and with this disease, it, as I said, it comes quickly sometimes, it comes slowly sometimes, but the bottom line, Linda, it's always fatal. Uh, uh, Sean, at what point, I mean, how did that, seeing all this, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you have other family members, but how did it, how did it affect you when you're, uh, on a personal level, if you don't mind, um, when you're... When you had, when you remember all the, you know, good times and the conversations, and and then it just, those things kind of fade away. How did how did you and your family handle that? With 
Well, I was a young adult, and I was in college with my grandparents, and so I watched my mother, who was, um, boy, she was a force. She was a career woman. She was uh, had director of development for a very large bank. Uh, in a man's world, no less, 40 years ago, she gave up that career to care for my grandparents. So I watched her take care of them, first at home, and then eventually they moved to a nursing home. And, you know, um, and my granddaddy, who was the most docile man, became very, very violent. Uh, and that was the reason why he had to to uh, to be placed. And my grandmother, who was rather um, a difficult woman, um, became very docile. So often there's personality changes as well. And so... It was it was far enough away because I was you know busy in my young life. But as the years you know went on, and I watched my mother start to have the same symptoms, I was like, oh my goodness, my own mother, who I idolized, I adored her, and uh, now personally it affects me that I have nobody, being an only child, that I can go back to and ask any questions. Um, that's sad, and I and I worry for my daughters. You know, women have a higher prevalence of Alzheimer's. They um they live longer. They are the primary caregiver. More, you know, oftentimes they more than men are taking care of the loved ones. And so, my three daughters who have had head injuries and have Alzheimer's in their in their genes, um, you know, it's not a great setup for the future. So. Not only do I worry for myself, but I worry about the younger generation, including my daughters. That's a that that boy. You talk about a difficult time. I, that is something that um, I'm facing now with my father-in-law. And everything you've talked about is we're seeing as as he gets older mm. and older, it, and, it, and it's pretty tough because it, you see, it's like you were saying about your grandfather, a very um, you know almost like a man's man, as you were saying, um, my. Gr- you know, that's, he was a construction worker his entire life, and then they just kind of dwindle. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very, very tough to watch, and it's very hard to see that. Um, I wanted to, to go into find out uh, how did you first um, get involved with veterans for out there? Was that, did you, why, what, did this something you just had to do, or? <laughs> well, what, you know, I'll be really, really honest. Um, there's a thing, and it's a real thing. It's called empty nest syndrome. <laughs> and when my baby daughter left to go to college, I really was soul-searching, knowing that I wanted to do something to give back, something that was purposeful. And I have always been a volunteer in the veteran community. And um, and I have been a founding board member with Us Against Alzheimer's. And so... It again with the history of my daughter's head trauma, and then with what we were seeing coming back from the wars, the Gulf War, the you know, and now our current war. Um, it just it was almost like a lightning bolt, and I thought, my goodness, what is going on here? And uh, it was then that I did some due diligence in, in, in the landscape to see if anyone was talking about this issue, and nobody was. Um, at least not publicly. And so, you know, it, I go back to cancer. Cancer used to be the C word, right? We never talked about cancer. Right. And now it's out in the open. And Alzheimer's is not going away. 
it, it, we never talked about it at home because it was, um, you didn't want to dishonor someone. You didn't want to, uh, you know, embarrass them. It was just kind of a very private disease. And now I think it's coming out of the closet. It's, it's, everyone's talking about Alzheimer's because I can guarantee you people that are listening to this conversation, if they have not personally been touched, they know somebody that's been touched. You can stand, you can have a room full of people and ask half of them to stand up. And those are the ones that are going to be touched by Alzheimer's. No, you're exactly right. I, I've, you know, this was my, my first, uh, with dementia. I've never, it's always been cancer in a family, but seeing with my in-laws with Alzheimer's and it's, it's heartbreaking. And then when you start talking to other uh, friends and, and, uh, other family members who now have in-laws, you're exactly right. Everybody. I mean, this is, this is something that is touched by millions of people and, um, it's, it's so frustrating. I don't know if frustrating is the right word, Sean, but it is, it's, it is because you, these, these once strong and they're strong as people. They've just, uh, they lose their memory and they, it's heartbreaking when you go in and they can't even remember who you are and all these great memories you shared. Well, you're right. And, you know, the sad part of it all is they didn't ask for this. You know, it just, it just is. And so these individuals, these family members, these loved ones need to be cared for and remembered for the person that they were, the person that they are. Um, and if they don't, if they don't know that you're there, you know that you're there. Right. You talked about earlier. You said when you when you played older music, uh, mm-hmm. how, and you said you've seen that you've seen a, 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 a actual physical difference. Do you think that jogs some memory? Absolutely, absolutely. My mother, <laughs> she loved the Four Seasons, and um, when I play that for her, or I play Frank Sinatra. Or, you know, any of the, the music from that generation, she, her eyes close and she just kind of goes into this happy place. It's, it's so obvious. Well, that's really amazing how just something that they, it, they go back. It seems like they go back into a place that, a happy place, you know, something that they can, they can feel again. Mm-hmm. Would that be accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. And, you know, that was just, that was, I, I just did that by chance. And so, you know, I think the more we talk to people, the more you share what works for you, what worked for me. Um, mm-hmm. Every little bit that you can do to help one another through this through this transition makes makes it easier to burden. Absolutely. To now we're talking to Sean Taylor, um, against Veterans Against Alzheimer, and you can read more about it at her website, U.S. Against Alzheimer's, that's ALZ.org. And we're going to be going to a commercial, but we'd really like to get back and talk a lot more about this. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here. 
for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Salt is in nearly everything we eat, and many times it makes food taste so delicious. Even though the 2010 Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends limiting sodium to less than 2,300 milligrams a day, Men's Health Magazine states that the average American takes in about 3,300 milligrams of sodium every single day. Your body needs some sodium to function properly because it helps transmit nerve impulses. It influences the contraction and relaxation of muscles, and it helps maintain the right balance of fluids in your body. But most of us are getting far more sodium than is recommended. Check out the sodium content in the foods you are eating and limit soy sauce, Parmesan cheese, bacon, smoked salmon, ramen noodles, and salami. It's time to kick the habit of too much sodium. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. One of the things that bothers me is the the aphasia. When you can't remember names of other people or situations or memories. And so it, it becomes very sad. You cover it up in the beginning, and then it, there comes a point where you can't cover it up any longer. And I think that's when it's helpful. And, and talk about some things that you've done or know about that help a family to get over that hump and actually realize that things have changed and they're not going to go back to what they were. And this covers everything from driving um, being able to independently move about, uh, not just the aphasia, not just the symptoms that you see, but the lifestyle pieces. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you it's it's so interesting because the generation, the generational gap, I think, makes a big difference. I think that parents, my parents and my grandparents, those generations, you did not talk about things. You know, you you just mm-hmm. didn't. Um, that's the way I was I was brought up, but I think that we are now in a place in society where we do talk about things, and so oftentimes it's frustrating for someone of my generation to who, who wants to shake you know the parents and say this is happening, this is really happening, um, and they they are in denial. And oftentimes what happens is that one of the two covers up. You know they do not want to expose their significant other, their spouse, to the public um, in this condition. And so there is, there is that strain on the family. Once you get over, well, assuming you get over that hump, sometimes you don't. Sometimes mm-hmm. this can really uh, wedge a family and it can, it can have devastating effects, not only physically, 
Um, but emotionally and, um, and economically, we haven't even talked about the economic impact. But um, some of the tricks that I've learned that, um, you know, for, for my mother with driving, because she loved to drive, and uh, was first thing we did was tell her the car was in the shop because she had a lot of dings on that car. So, you know, we just kept we just kept saying over and over and longer and longer that the car still in the shop, car still in the shop. And then and then we took her to the DMV um, knowing that she would not pass her vision test. Um, and uh, oftentimes if you signal to the DMV person, you know, that you don't want this one to pass their test, they will work with you. And so they're told you're not the bad guy. They're told by the DMV that they can no longer drive. I know in my father's case, it was it was not a pleasant um, situation to have to deal with. And you've got to find, you've got to be creative. You just got to be creative. I know with with wine, um, we started diluting the wine. We started doing half and half. Uh, you know, just to not have the effect of, of alcohol on top of the symptoms that we were experiencing. You know, that's interesting that you bring that up because that's something that we, we actually do with my father-in-law who we talked about with the, with his brandy. We dilute the brandy because mm-hmm. um, he's very used to having that, you know, that after work drink for that. And so it's uh, very, very little, very little brandy and a lot of 7-Up, you know. Yeah. Something to get him through the day and make him happy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that generation, um, you know, is used to their cocktail, and especially in the military, they, I can remember my grandparents setting up at five o'clock their little TV ta- tables and their nuts and their cocktail, and and uh, that was just, it was a, it was just a habit. Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, I want, also wanted to ask you, uh, going back to the veterans. Um, where do you see this? Where do you see this going? Is there is there really good? Um, we talked about earlier about VA being involved. Mm-hmm. Is this going in a positive direction in your in your opinion? I mean, are the you said the VSOs were supportive? What kind the of support are they giving? Yeah, well, the VFW is leading the charge with that. They have partnered with us, and um, we are in the midst of developing a survey that is going to be very veteran friendly. Us Against Alzheimer's has a, a very unique tool that we've developed called the A-List, uh, What Matters Most. And we send that out um, to various organizations and groups to get feedback. And it's really not for us to say what somebody needs, but rather what matters most to you. You tell us what is important, what you're experiencing in your family. And so we're taking that survey we have researchers at the VA looking at it that are giving us insight, and we have the VFW working with us to really tweak the survey for the veteran uh, population so that we can find out for them, because it is a unique population, um, to find out what matters most uh, when they are dealing with these issues. So that is that is one tool. Um Another tool, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It's just so exciting that we just recently came yep. off of a partnership with the VA where we had a first-ever roundtable stakeholder summit where for one whole day we were housed at Deloitte 
and uh, researchers and stakeholders from all across the country came in to talk about what the barriers are and how can we expedite veterans into clinical trials. And that is what is going to help us find a cure, our, our clinical trials. You know, Sean, my background is clinical trials. I did 15 years in private industry with clinical trials, and I can only say that the great breakthroughs come through only after participating in clinical trials. Mm -hmm. And it's so valuable and so necessary. And, And yet I think there is one hurdle that the VA is going to have to get over, and I wonder if it came up during your discussion, and that is, for years, we've had registries, so whether it was Agent Orange or burn pits or various uh, Gulf War disease less, as you know, the there was nothing done with those, which is very different than a clinical trial. So as you're asking people to participate in clinical trials, how are you going to get past the fact that vets have heard a lot about, you know, we want to help you and research you, but there's been a history of not following up. So when you had that stakeholder meeting, were they aware that clinical trials and recruitment for clinical trials is so critical and is built through trust? Absolutely. Um, a big shout out to Dr. Rachel Ramoni. She is the director of research and development at the VA, and she has uh, come with three goals to the table, and one of them is to expedite veterans into clinical trials. Find out what the barriers are, find out what the problems are, and let's get this train moving. You know, the VA's been first in so many things, and it's her goal to to get back on that track and to to engage, to develop that trust. Trust was a a topic of conversation. It's interesting that you mentioned that, yes. Well, it is very important because uh, clinical trials reveal things that in larger numbers that Mm -hmm. really show patterns and so super important for a disease that really can only be diagnosed post-mortem. Correct. Correct. You're absolutely right. And the VA has what's called the Million Veteran Program. It's the Mm -hmm. MVP. And currently, and this is an all-volunteer program. There are over 600,000 veterans that have volunteered thus far. So, um, and what this is doing is, is it can be as easy as a blood draw. I mean, a clinical trial does not have to be this big, Mm-mm. bad, scary thing. It can mm-hmm. be just drawing blood. And I have, I have heard firsthand that veterans, you know, they want to continue their service. And this is a way of continuing their service to their country, is participating in medical research. And it's all very, very regulated in this country and safe, which is something that I want to put a plug in for participating in clinical trials because they're highly vetted. It's highly regulated and controlled. And we have the best research in the world, which is why drugs are often uh, developed in foreign countries because they don't have the kinds of controls that we do have. Mm-hmm. But as you said, in Alzheimer's, it, it doesn't have to be a lengthy trial. It can also be cognitive testing. Exactly. And looking at that over time, talk a little bit about that. We have about a minute until our, our break. Sure. Um, cognitive testing, it's, it's, you can even have an app on your phone mm-hmm. uh, where you can 
you can uh, work on this app, and then those results, you know, then are measured. Uh, so it's as easy as not even leaving your home. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can go to somewhere close, or you can go somewhere and visit a relative, or, you know, and, and participate that way. Trials come in all shapes and sizes, and there's, there's easy access. Uh, but I think what, what, what's missing is the attention and the information of how to and where to. Perfect timing. We are going on our last break, and we will come back and talk about that very specific topic. We are talking to Sean Taylor about Veterans Against Alzheimer's, part of usagainstalzheimer's.org, and a very important topic for every family who will experience this condition either personally or with a family member. We'll be back after this short break. Stay with us. There's more to come. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. your parents or grandparents complain about walking to school uphill both ways, you can tell them about a village in China where getting to school is a real adventure. In the mountainous Sichuan province, children have to get to school from their tiny village of Acular by rappelling, abseiling, and clambering down a 2,500-foot cliff. Using ropes and bamboo ladders to scale this one-half-mile-high brachtumic, the journey is so difficult that the school children, ages 6 to 15, only return home every two weeks. What's the word for the fear of heights? Hypsophobia. A new set of steel stairs is now being considered to help make the journey to school safer. By the way, a rock tumuk is a hill so steep it hurts the stomach of anyone who tries to climb it. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio. Serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion about Alzheimer's. And before the break, you were mentioning, Sean, about clinical trials awareness. And I'd love for you to talk about how people can be involved proactively as opposed to the VA reaching out to them. So it's it's a two-way street and it, it really is something that raising awareness on, I'd love that we could do that with this program today. 
Terrific. Um, well, certainly, uh, you know, with lots of people participating in Alzheimer's disease clinical trials, we can learn so much more about the disease in general. In general, but without the data, especially on veterans with Alzheimer's, we can't understand why veterans get the disease more often than their civilian counterpoints, counterparts. So. Um, there are websites uh, we have, clinical trial listing, we can assist. There is, uh, Us Against Alzheimer's is, is very involved with clinical trials, and we have a network called the GAP Network. It's the global Alzheimer's platform that has 60, I believe we're at 60 or over trial sites set up now that you can, uh, all over the country, that um, has taken the wait time off of getting into clinical trials by two years. That's phenomenal. And so as you take the wait time off, are you seeing that people are spreading the word about this? Because often word of mouth helps clinical Mm -hmm. trials more than anything. Those who participate in clinical trials and see how easy it is to do, how well cared for you are. Um, Usually, those are people who refer other friends and family into trials. So the recruitment process is helped. Yeah, absolutely. And the exciting thing is that you're kind of in the know, you know. Mm -hmm. You are cared for, you're you're better cared for than you would be normally. Without it. Without it. And you are up you are you are in the know, as I said, and um, knowledgeable about what's going on before most people are. So it's it, it's exciting that you can be on the on the edge of of science and and doing your part to give back. It's just like giving you know blood. I give blood on a regular basis, and that's just a, a good thing to do. And I think it makes us feel like we can do something for such an insidious condition. Mm-hmm. As you go forward, I, I want to make sure that we allow our listeners to to understand that earlier diagnosis does give more options. Families can be more supportive. Communication patterns can be set easily and, and put into place. And so, so denial often holds back families from being able to help and support about awareness of signs and symptoms and keeping the communication open. And there's new technology available, too, um, we've had on our show that helps families communicate. I don't know if you heard Nate. I'm sorry, I lost you there. Have you heard of MindMate? I have not. Tell me. It's, it's a phenomenal technology that has been – It's been in use uh, in the UK, England, Stanford, Harvard, a number of institutions lately in the United States that's gathering data as well. And so it is technology that helps the family communicate. It provides cognitive smart testing, intuitive care. And so we're finding that we can leverage technology in a way to support the Alzheimer's or dementia and, and cognitively help. And you mentioned music earlier. So there's aspects where you can put music into this app. It's a free app, by the way, and uh, photographs, things that help jog the memory and help someone to feel more in control. And there's communication for family members. So 
there are new things coming in this arena and the VA does have things, but private industry is also coming up with some innovative supports. And I guess what I'm saying is how do we work more closely together? Because I don't know of a family that isn't going to be affected by Alzheimer's, especially mm-hmm. in the veteran community. Well, I, I, I think that the um, employers are very aware now they're making accommodations for their employees because, you know, when one has to call in sick or one is not able to come into work, that's mm-hmm. downtime, lost time, that's money lost uh, for the employer. So they have, well, I say they, I mean, employers are really working hard to see what they can do um, to help with these situations. There's even... You know, there's there's daycare centers now across mm-hmm. the country where one and, and in the veteran community as well, where family members can take their loved ones to a facility where they can be for the day. They're cared for. They're they're fed. They they do different types of programs depending on the level um, of where they are in this disease or even just in, uh, you know, in the beginning stages of cognitive loss, uh, just that muscle the brain mm-hmm. is a muscle, and just using that is um, is is so helpful uh, to the family. They know they can uh, leave them securely, be at peace, and go do what they need to do for the day. You know, Sean, so important to know about this, and and I want to make sure that our listeners know where to find out more information because you mentioned the daycare centers. And the VA is strong in this mm-hmm. area, but is not always strong at sharing the opportunities that do exist. The outreach is is a huge um, chore to to get out. So I think organizations such as yours are wonderful bridging the gap in terms of being able to point people to resources. So would they go us against Alzheimer's.org? To mm-hmm. find out where those daycare centers are, or are they guided through the VA? Well, it's both, really. Good. The VA has an excellent um, national caregiving support program, and they have, in particular, a program called REACH mm-hmm. that um, is 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 doing wonderful things. So, you know, I think what the problem is, or at least the experience that I've heard from others, is finding the information. It's just like, where do you start? You need a navigator. You need, um, so, you know, a recommendation might be to make it just a little bit more streamlined. You know, you go, you do A, B, C, D, um, as opposed to reading through, through text. No, it's true. It's absolutely true. Talk a little bit about the REACH program. Well, I know that um, it was developed by two women who are in the Midwest who were really, uh, wanting to see a difference with caregiving. They were experiencing Alzheimer's personally, so they took it upon themselves, and uh, they started the REACH program. And it's it's not in every VA facility, but um, it is available if, if sought out. And it, it, it's, it focuses on caregivers mm-hmm. and helping them with support, um, uh, navigating toward a support group or walking them through a crisis or helping them in a situation that they may not have experienced before, or early signs or late signs. I mean, it's really an opportunity to engage with an organization that is reaching out to you to help. I love that. 
really believe that proactive research is very helpful. Pass along the name of the website again, please. Uh, the, it's reach, reach.org. Okay, and you reach. can also find it. Um, well, don't quote me. I, I think it's reach.org. It's reach. If you Google reach, all caps, you'll come across it. Okay. And your website? Our website is veteransagainstalzheimers.org. Okay. And our website offers an opportunity to, uh, to stay current, to get engaged, to learn about legislation, about clinical trials, you know, just what the news breaking is going on, what news is breaking um, in this industry and in particular to the veteran community. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. I like love the social media. I wanted mm-hmm. uh, just more about your website. I wanted for you to tell us more about your activist toolkit. Um, that is a opportunity to uh, reach out to your congressional people. We make it really, really easy. All you've got to do is plug in your your name and your zip code, and it will tell you direct you to your uh, congressional person where you can sign legislation. Um, and if I, if I may take this opportunity right now, we've got two pieces of legislation, uh, two bipartisan policy initiatives that uh, listeners on this call can help to support. Okay. Uh, these two bills uh, are, you know, Republican and Democrat alike. Truly, this is a nonpartisan issue. Uh, first is the CHANGE Act. And the CHANGE Act, and that's C-H-A-N-G-E, all caps, requires Medicare to identify a tool that doctors can use to diagnose Alzheimer's disease early so that there are more patients who can participate in clinical trials. Uh It also requires Medicare to evaluate care delivery models so that patients are getting the care they need in whatever phase of the disease that they are in or throughout the course of their dementia. And the CHANGE Act also incentivizes both the providers and Medicare to promote healthy brain lifestyles. Great. And, What's the um, second one? The second one is called the MIND Act, and that's M-I-N-D. Mm-hmm. And this is very specific to veterans. The MIND Act is the bill that is um, dedicated to helping veterans with Alzheimer's disease. It directs the Department of Veterans Affairs to develop research education, and clinical centers focused on Alzheimer's disease. So both of these bills need to be passed, and I would ask your listeners to reach out to their congressional people or write a letter even um, to their office telling them that they need to support these bills because Alzheimer's disease is impacting our country's health and our country's economy. And our well-being and quality of life and family mm-hmm. resilience. I mean, it, it, it covers everything. It does. But, you know, Sean, thank you for sharing so much information today about not only how Alzheimer's has affected you, because that passion is being directed into this work. So thank you for what you do. And the uh, organization, again, is veteransagainstalzheimers.org. You can learn more about the veterans' aspects of participating in clinical trials and finding research results that will help with managing this very insidious condition. Thank you for your time today, Sean. I thank you, Linda. Um, I thank you both for the opportunity of bringing, shining uh, a light on this issue uh, in the veteran community and then the general population as well.
It's our pleasure. Thank you for joining us today with guest Sean Taylor and Veterans Against Alzheimer's.org. We'll be back next week with a great show for you. Make it a great week. Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 